0: Part 2, Chapter 4 of The Adventures of Jimmy Dale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. The Adventures of Jimmy Dale by Frank L. Packard. Reading by Jacob Cherry. Part 2, The Women in the Case, Chapter 4, The innocent bystander. There was not a sound. That stillness, weird, unnerving, that permeated, as it were, everywhere through that mysterious house was, if that were possible, accentuated now. The four mass men in evening dress, five including their leader, for the man who had appeared in that other room with the rabbit was not here, were as silent as motionless as the dead man who was lashed there in the chair. And to Jimmy Dale, it seemed at first, as though his brain, stunned and stupefied at the shock, refused its functions, and left him groping blindly, vaguely, with only sort of a dull subconscious realization of menace and deadly peril imminent hanging over him. He tried to rouse himself mentally, to prod his brain to action, to pit it in a fight for life against these self-confessed criminals and murderers with their mask of culture who surrounded him now. Was there a way out? What was it the toxin had said? The most powerful and pitiless organization of criminals the world has ever known? The stake a fortune of millions, her life? There had indeed been no overemphasis in the words she had used. They had taken pains themselves to make that ominously clear, these men every detail of the strange house with its luxurious furnishings its cleverly contrived appointments breathed a horribly suggestive degree of power a deadly purpose and an organization swayed by a mastermind and grim evidence of the merciless inexorable link to which they would go was the ghastly white face of the dead chauffeur bound hand and foot in the chair before him that empty glass in the hand of one of the men He could not take his eyes from it except as his eyes were drawn magnetically to that full glass in the hand of one of the others what height of sardonic irony he was to drink that other glass to die because he refused to answer questions that for years with every resource at his command risking his liberty his wealth his name his life with everything that he cared for thrown into the scales he had struggled to solve and failed And then the leader spoke. Mr. Dale, he said with cold significance, I regret to admit that your pseudo-taxi-cab driver was so ill-advised as to refuse to answer the same questions that I have put to you. Five to one. That was the only way out, and it was hopeless. It was the only way out because, convinced that he could answer those questions if he wanted to, these men were in deadly earnest. It was hopeless because they were five to one and probably there was many more twice or three times as many more within call but what did it matter how many more there were he could fight until he was overpowered that was all he could do and the five could accomplish that still if he could knock the full glass out of the man's hand and gain the door then perhaps he turned quickly as the door opened It was as though they had read his thoughts. A number of men were grouped outside in the corridor. Then the door closed again, with a cordon ranged against it inside the room. And at the same instant his arms and wrists were caught in a powerful grasp by the two men immediately behind him, who all along had enacted the role of guards. Again the leader spoke. I will repeat the questions, he said sharply. Where is the woman whose ring was found on that man there in the chair? And where is the package that you two men had with you in the taxicab cab tonight?" Jimmy Dale glanced from the tall, straight, immaculately clothed figure of the speaker, from the threatening smile on the set lips that just showed under the edge of the mask to the dead man in the chair. He had faced the prospect of death before many times, but it had come in the heat of passions accompanying it. It had come quickly, abruptly, with every faculty called into action to combat it, without time to dwell upon it, to sift away or measure its meaning, and if there had been fear, it had been subordinate to other emotions. But it was different now. He could not, of course, answer those questions, nor, he was doggedly conscious, would he have answered them if he could. And there was no middle course death within the next few moments stared him in the face and it seemed curiously irrelevant that in a sort of unnatural calmness he should be attempting to analyze his feeling and emotions concerning it all his life it had seemed to him that the acme of human mental torture was the cell of a condemned criminal with the horror of its hopelessness with the time to dwell upon it and that the acme of that torture itself must be that awful moment immediately preceding execution, when anticipation at last was to merge into soul-sickening reality. Strange that thought should come. Strange that he should be framing a brain picture of such a scene, vivid, minute in detail. No, not strange. He was picturing himself. The analogy was not perfect. It was true. He had not had the months, weeks, days, and hours of suspense, but it was perfect enough to bring home to him with appalling force the realization of his position. He was standing as a condemned man might stand in those last, final moments, those moments which he had imagined must be the most terrible that could exist in life, but that dismay of soul, the horror, the terror were not his." There was instead a smoldering fury, a passionate amazement that was his own life that was threatened. It seemed impossible that it could be his voice that was speaking now in such quiet measured tones. Is it worthwhile? Will it convince you now any more than before to repeat that there is some mistake here? I am no more able to answer your questions than you are yourselves. I never saw that man in the chair there in my life "'until the moment that I hailed him in his cab to-night. "'I do not know who the woman is to whom that ring belongs, "'much less do I know where she is. "'And if there was a package of any sort in the taxicab as you state, "'I never saw it.' "'The lips under the mask curved into a lapine smile. "'Think well, Mr. Dale,' the man's voice was low-menacing. "'Ethically, if you so choose to consider it, "'your refusal might be the act of a brave man.' practically it's the act of a fool now your answer i have answered you said jimmy dale and relaxing the muscles in his arms let them hang limply for an instant in the grip of the two men behind him i have no other answer it was only a sign a motion of the leader's hand but with it quick as a lightning flash jimmy dale was in action the limp arms tautened into steel as he wrenched them loose and whirling around he whipped his fist into the chin of one of the two guards. In an instant, with a blow as the man staggered backwards, the room was in pandemonium. There was a rush from the door, and two, three, four leaping forms hurled themselves upon Jimmy Dale. He shook them off, and they came again. There was no chance, ultimately. He knew that. It was only the elemental within him that rose in fierce revolt at the thought of tame submission that bade him sell his life as dearly as he could panting gasping for breath dragging them by sheer strength as they clung to him he got his back to the wall fighting with the savage fury and abandon of a wild cat but it could not last where one man went down before him two remorselessly appeared the room seemed filled with men they poured in through the door he laughed at them in a half-demented way more and more of them came there was no play for his arms no room to fight they seemed so close around him so many of them upon him that he could not breathe and he was bending being crushed down by as an intolerable weight and then his feet were jerked from beneath him he crashed to the floor and in another moment bound hand and foot he was tied into a chair beside that other chair whose grim occupants sat in such a ghastly apathy of the scene. The room cleared instantly of all but the original five. His head was drawn suddenly, violently backward, and clamped in that position, and a metal instrument forced into his mouth while his lips bled in their resistance, pried jaws apart and held them open. One drop, the leader ordered curtly. The man with the full glass bent over him and dipped a glass rod into the liquid. The drop glistened a ruby red at the end of the rod and fell with a sharp, acrid, burning sensation upon Jimmy Dale's tongue. For a moment, Jimmy Dale's animation, mental and physical, seemed swept away from him, as it were, a hiatus of hideous suspense. What was it to be like, this passing? Why did it not act at once as it acted on the rabbit they had showed him in the other room? Yes, he remembered it took more than one drop for a man and besides this was diluted one drop had no effect on the man it required good god one drop even of this was enough he strained forward in the chair until the sweat in great beads sprang from his forehead strained and fought and tore at his bonds in a paroxysm of madness to free himself while there still remained a little strength there was something filming before his eyes a numbed feeling that was creeping through his limbs robbing them, zapping them of their vitality and power. He felt himself slipping away into a state of utter weakness, and his brain began to grow confused. A voice seemed to float in the air near him. For the last time, will you answer? With a supreme effort, Jimmy Dale strove to rally his tottering senses. Did they not understand the stupendous mockery of their questions? Did they not understand that he did not know? "'He had told them so. Perhaps he had better tell them so again. "'I,' he tried to speak and found the words thick upon his tongue. "'I do not know.' "'The glass itself was thrust abruptly between his lips. "'Some of the contents spilled and trickled upon his chin, "'and then a flood of it, burning fury, poured down his throat. "'A flood of it, and it needed but three drops, "'and there had been ten in the glass.' So this was death, a hazy, nebulous thing. There was no pain. It was like, like nothingness. And out of nothingness, she came. Strange that she should come. Alone she had fought these fiends and outwitted them for, how long was it, three years? She would be more than ever alone now. Pray God she did not finally fall into their clutches. How it burned now, that fatal draw they had forced down his throat, and how it gripped at him and seemed to eat and bore its way into the very tissues. It was the end, and no, it was stimulating him. Strength seemed to be returning to his limbs. It seemed as though he was being carried, as though the bonds about him were being loosened, and now his brain seemed to be growing clearer. He roused up with a startled exclamation. He was back in the same room in which he had first returned to consciousness after the accident. He was on the same couch. The same masked figure was at the same desk. Had he been dreaming? Was this only some horrible, ghastly nightmare through which he had passed? No, it had been real enough. His clothes, rent and torn, and the blood upon his hands, where the skin had been scraped from his knuckles in the fight, or evidence to that. He must have lost consciousness for a while, though it seemed to him that at no moment, hazy irrational though his brain might have been, had he become entirely oblivious to what was taking place around him. And yet it must have been so. The eyes from behind the mask were fixed steadily upon him, and below the mask there was the hard, unpleasant set to the lips that Jimmie Dale had grown accustomed to expect. The man spoke abruptly. That you find yourself alive, Mr. Dale, he said grimly, is no confession of weakness upon the part of those with whom you have had to deal here. To bear witness to that, there is one who is not alive, as you have seen, that man we knew. With you, it was somewhat different. Your presence in the taxicab was only suspicious. There was always the possibility that you might be one of those ambiguous innocent bystanders your name your position the improbability that you could have anything in common with shall we say the matter that so deeply interests us was all in your favor however presumption and probability are the tools of fools we do not depend upon them we apply the test and having applied the test we are convinced that you have told the truth that is all "'He rose from his chair briskly. "'I shall not apologize to you for what has happened. "'I doubt very much that you are in a frame of mind "'to accept anything of the sort. "'I imagine, rather, that you are promising yourself "'that we shall pay and pay dearly for this, "'and that, amongst other things, "'we shall answer for the murder of the man in the other room. "'All this will be quite within your province, Mr. Dale, "'and quite fruitless.' tomorrow morning the story that you are preparing to tell now would sound incredible even in your own ears furthermore as we shall take pains to see that you leave this place with as little knowledge of its location as you obtained when you arrived your story even if believed would do little service to you and less harm to us i think of nothing more mr dale except there was a whimsical smile on the lips now ah yes the matter of your clothes "'We can and shall be glad to make reparation to you "'to the slight extent of offering you a new suit before you go.'" Jimmy Dale scowled. Sick, shaken, and weak as he was, the cool, imperturbable impotence of the man was fast-growing unbearable. The man laughed. "'I am sure you will not refuse, Mr. Dale, since we insist. "'The condition of the clothes you have on at present might, "'I say might, in a measure, support your story to with some degree of tangible evidence.' It is not at all likely of course but we prefer to discount even so remote a possibility when you have changed you will be motored back to your home i bid you good night mr dale jimmy dale rubbed his eyes the man was gone through a door at the rear of the desk a door that he had not noticed before that was not even in evidence now that was simply a movable section of the wall paneling and for an instant jimmy dale experienced a sense of sickening impotence it was as though he stood defenceless unarmed and utterly at the mercy of some venomous power that could crush what would be remorselessly and at will in his might the place was a veritable maze a lair of hellish cleverness he had no illusions now he labored under no false estimate of either the ingenuity or the resources of this inhuman nest of vultures to whom murder was no more than a matter of detail. And it was against these men that henceforth he was to match his wits. There could be no truce, no armistice. It was their lives or hers or his. Well, he was alive now. The first round was over, and so far he had won. His brow furrowed suddenly. Had he? He was not so sure after all. He was conscious of a disquieting premonitory, Intuition that, in some way, which he could not explain, the honors were not entirely his. He was apparently, he apparently was a mental reservation, quite alone in the room. He got up from the couch and walked shakily across the floor to the desk. A revolver lay invitingly upon the blotting pad. It was his own, the one they had taken from him after the accident. Jimmy Dale picked it up, examined it, and smiled a little sarcastically, At himself for the trouble. It was unloaded, of course. He was twirling it in his hand as a man, masked as everyone in the house was masked, and carried a neatly folded suit over his arm entered from the corridor. The car is ready as soon as you are dressed, announced the other briefly. He laid the clothes upon the couch and settled himself significantly in a chair. Jimmy Dale hesitated. Then, with a shrug of his shoulders, recrossed the room and began to remove his torn garments. What was the use? They would certainly have their own way in the end. It wasn't worth another fight, and there was nothing to be gained by a refusal except to offer a sop to his own exasperation. He dressed quickly in what proved to be an exceedingly well-fitting suit and finally turned tentatively to the man in the chair. The other stood up and produced a heavy black silk scarf, if you have no objections, he said curtly, I'll tie this over your eyes. Again, Jimmy Dale shrugged his shoulders. I am glad enough to get out on any conditions, he answered caustically. Fortunate would be a better word, rejoined the other meaningly, and deftly nodding the scarf, led Jimmy Dale blindfolded from the room. End of Part Two Chapter Four Recording by Jacob Cherry